Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll talk about the effect of the Disney Spectrum deal on cable networks. Then after that, we'll get into the great Xbox leak of 2023. And after that, we'll get into the future of handheld gaming. So if that sounds good to you, let's jump right into it. All right, so before I get into it, I just want to say thank you um, for listening. If you have been, or if you, if this is your first time tuning in to the Cells and Circuits podcast, or if you've been down from the beginning, I just want to say thank you. Um, I, I really appreciate it these past few months have been or have been taxing on me personally but I'm getting through it I'm getting through it so yeah really appreciate you tuning in and let's just jump right in to this first story which is about the effect of the Disney Spectrum deal on cable networks so For those of you who don't know, I'm just going to give a quick rundown on what happened last month. So, on September 1st, all of Disney's networks, so ABC, all of the FX networks, ESPN, all of the Disney Channel networks, so Disney Channel, Disney XD, Disney Junior... Um, plus all of the National Geographic networks and all the other networks that Disney owns uh, went offline on Spectrum due to Disney and Charter failing to reach a carriage deal. Now, this happens normally with um, or between um, IP or between uh, media companies and um, and cable or internet service providers. Um, This happens quite a lot. Um, But this is especially, or this was especially frustrating to people because it's Disney, right? I mean, they own like some of the biggest networks of any media company, um, including ESPN and since it's sports season, it's football season here in America, um, many people were frustrated that they couldn't watch ESPN for um, or for their football games and what have you. Um, so 10 days later, uh, Disney and Spectrum actually announced a new deal or a new carriage deal. Um, and it has a big caveat that we'll get to in a minute, but, um, as part of the deal, Spectrum got to keep Disney's core networks. So that includes ABC, ESPN, uh, the main FX channel, um, and the main Disney channel. And I believe the main National Geographic channel as well. Um, And then also, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus became available at no additional cost to certain Spectrum subscribers, depending on what package tier that you got. Um, And then, um, unfortunately, this is where the big caveat comes in. Uh, Spectrum lost... Uh, some of Disney's um, smaller cable channels. So that list includes channels like Disney XD, Disney Junior, FXX, FXM, Freeform, National Geographic Wild, Nat Geo Mundo, and Baby TV. So all of those networks were just straight up gone from Spectrum and they haven't been on Spectrum ever since. 
Um, and then also um, Hulu, which Disney owns the majority of as of the recording of this segment, was not offered to Spectrum's or customers um, in order to kind of offset that loss. Um, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus were available, as I mentioned earlier, but Hulu was not. Um, so that's so that's a big concession for Disney, right? Um, like a lot of their or a lot of their cable networks just aren't going to be uh, viewed by many people. Um, it's not an insignificant amount of people who subscribe to Spectrum. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 75 million homes here in the U.S. So we're looking at about a quarter of the U.S.'s population, um, maybe a little bit less than that. But yeah, um, it's a pretty big deal to all of these uh, cable networks, which I'll talk about. Um, or actually, I'll talk about that right now. Um, so what does this mean for networks like Disney XD, like Freeform, like FXX? Those are the main three that I want to talk about because those three show animation um, and Disney Junior as well. Um, but primarily Disney XD, Freeform, and FXX. Well, it means quite a bit, um, especially for Freeform and FXX, right? Maybe not so much Disney XD because those are all or Disney XD was pretty much all reruns of uh, former Disney Channel programs anyway. Um, I mean, sure, they have some, or there are some programs that are um, exclusive to Disney XD, especially in terms of, like, broadcast on cable, um, but those are very few and far in between, and those can likely be watched on either Disney Plus or Hulu anyway, or, or another streaming service. Um, so, so, I mean, not much is lost there. Um, however, with Freeform, um, that means a, again, a non, a non-insignificant part of of the U.S. is now cut off from things like 31 Nights of Halloween, for example, that's going on this month. Like, um, Spectrum users just, or Spectrum customers just cannot watch that anymore. Um, or 25 Days of Christmas, which also goes on Freeform in December. Like, unless something changes between now and then, like Spectrum customers won't be able to watch that. <clears throat> and then you also have um, FXX, who shows like all of the or not or most of the heavy hitters from 20th television animation, um, like Family Guy, The Simpsons, um, which both of those are also on Freeform, which, again, Spectrum users um, just can't watch anymore. Um, but then you also have others like The Cleveland Show, uh, King of the Hill, um, Bob's Burgers, which for King of the Hill and Bob's Burgers, thankfully, those are on Adult Swim as well. So, so at least Spectrum um, users can watch those programs on Adult Swim, um, as well as Futurama. But as of right now, um, Adult Swim doesn't air Futurama all that much. I'm not sure why, but they just don't. Um, maybe they don't want to promote or maybe they don't want to promote the new season that's on Hulu, which is owned by Disney. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know the or I don't know why Adult Swim doesn't air 
Futurama anymore. But regardless, um, that's not that's not what we're talking about. Um, but for FXX, um, FXX also had its own original programs like uh, the recently removed Little Demon, um, which. Yeah, that sucks that uh, Little Demon was removed from Hulu and so it's not commercially available to watch. Um, But um, FXX also has Archer, which at the time of this recording, um, the, the series finale of Archer is actually going to be airing next week. So after that, Um, There hasn't really been any other um, future programming announced for FXX. So um, when you keep that in mind, plus the or plus the fact that FXX just lost its spectrum viewership, like that's kind of scary for FXX. I'm not going to lie. And that's after Disney had spent. Or had, or that's after Disney had wasted no time in securing the cable rights for a show like Family Guy um, for its own networks like Freeform and FXX. Um, only for like twenty percent of those viewers to not be able to watch those networks anymore because of this um, Spectrum deal that favors services like Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, which don't even um, account for all of uh, Disney's streaming services because Hulu's not included in it. Um, So this is bizarre and it's and I feel like this is only going to open up the floodgates for other companies to look at uh, or other media companies to look at cable companies and see this deal, this Disney Spectrum deal, and just um, decide, you know what? Maybe some of our networks are also um, or could also be put up on the chopping block, um, you know, to prop up our streaming service. So, when or so what does this mean for smaller cable networks owned by other companies um well um S&P Global actually did a report um which I will link to in the show notes but basically um this article comes from um Next TV um where S&P Global basically lists out all of the US cable networks that are vulnerable to losing carriage in upcoming negotiations. Um, and so for AMC networks, we're looking at BBC America, IFC and Sundance TV, um, for NBC universal or which is owned by Comcast. We're looking at CNBC world E sci-fi and universal kids which for universal kids is nbc universal's only kids network so um if that or if that were to happen like um nbc universal just wouldn't have anything to um appeal to kids and families on television um but anyway um Moving on to Fox Corporation, um, Fox Sports 2 is the only um, network that's vulnerable to losing carriage. Um, and then Paramount just has a bunch of them. Like, I feel like Paramount has too many networks um, in the first place. So, you know, maybe some of them kind of need to go. Um, I'm sorry, but I just feel like no media company should have that many uh, networks, but here we go. Um, so for Paramount, there are a lot of them, so I'm just going to go through them quickly. 
BET Gospel, BET Her, BET Hip Hop, BET Jams, BET Soul, CMT Music, Logo, MTV Classic, MTV Live, MTV2, MTVU, Nick Jr., Nick Music, Nick Tunes, Pop, Smithsonian Channel, Teen Nick, and Trace. I know that was a lot. Um, That was quite a lot. Um, But you see Paramount just has too many, too many networks. Um, So I feel like some of those actually do need to go. Um, But that's just my opinion. Let me know yours on social media or um, in our Discord server. Um, But anyway, moving on to Disney, um, which is pretty much the networks I mentioned earlier. Um, so I'm not going to mention them again. Um, and then for Warner Brothers Discovery, um, they mention American Heroes Channel, Boomerang, Cooking Channel, Destination America, Science, TCM, and True TV. Now, for Warner Brothers Discovery, um, I think that list is uh, definitely... Uh, plausible, though I would switch out TCM for Discovery Family simply because um, a few months ago um, TCM was at risk or it was rumored that TCM was at risk of um, actually shutting down and um, long story short, a couple of directors to include Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese um, were actually uh, negotiating with uh, David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, um, in order to save TCM um, as kind of a cultural landmark um, to preserve classic films. Um, And those directors... um, and I think a couple of other directors as well um, um, have agreed to curate um, the catalog that TCM has. Um, so uh, because of that, I don't think TCM is on the chopping block because I don't think David Zoslav wants to upset major Hollywood figures such as Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese. Um, But I do think Discovery Family is definitely at risk. So that's the only change I would make to the list that S&P Global took or that S&P Global made uh, to this list. So, yeah. Um, if I was at any one of those networks, I would be looking at this Disney Spectrum deal kind of terrified, um, because, you know, what if I, or if this network goes kaput, that means I don't have a job if I was working at one of those networks. So yeah, it's, or in true October fashion, it's looking spooky out here for, um, for these cable networks, but, um, I do want to know what you think. Um, do you think that some of these cable networks are going to be shutting down in a few years? And if you do, um, what alternatives, um, do you suggest for, you know, getting that entertainment? Do you or do you suggest maybe subscribing to a streaming service or do you think um, do you think that these um, companies are actually just going to turn these networks into fast channels, which I've talked about um, in my streams. So if you haven't watched those streams, um, definitely do that. Um, But yeah, let me know what your thoughts are on this whole Disney spectrum deal and the aftermath of it and what it means for smaller cable networks. Um, but yeah, um, that's about it for this segment and 
um, after these messages. I'll catch you in the next one. Later. Up next, we'll get into the great Xbox leak of 2023. Then after that, we'll get into the future of handheld gaming. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. All right, so next up, let's talk about the great Xbox leak of 2023. So for those of you who may not be aware somehow, um, Microsoft leaked a lot of documents regarding its future plans as submissions in its trial against the FTC in regards to the acquisition of Activision Blizzard. That Activision Blizzard acquisition is still ongoing at the time of this recording. Um, Maybe a few days after this recording that um, acquisition will have closed but as of right now it's still ongoing anyway there was a lot of juicy stuff in all of those documents that Microsoft leaked and um, we're gonna go through um, we're gonna go through like all of the big ones um, especially the new Xbox console that leaked the new Xbox controller that leaked, as well as the future plans for Xbox in terms of um, the next generation to come after the Series X and S consoles. So so if that sounds fun to you, um, let's jump right into the new Xbox console. So... There is a new Xbox console um, that's rumored to be released in 2024. Um, And essentially, it's going to be a digital Series X. Um, So it's going to have the same amount of power as the Series X, um, but it's going to have some changes. Um, First up, it's going to be a cylindrical shape, so it's not going to be a tall box like the Xbox Series X currently is. Um, It's going to be a cylindrical shape, um, which is kind of weird considering it's called Xbox. Um, But regardless, um, this or just think of the Xbox Series X, but in a cylindrical shape. Um, rather than um, just a rectangular prism. Um, So, and then, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be all digital, so there will be no disk drive, um, so you cannot play physical games on it. Um, You can only play digital games that you've either bought from the Microsoft Store or digital games that you have access to through Xbox Game Pass or any Xbox Game Pass tier, really. Um, so so there's that. Um, and then also, this new Xbox console is going to have Wi-Fi 6E support. Finally, I don't know why the Xbox Series X and S didn't at least have Wi-Fi 6 at launch. Um, which is something that the PS5 had at launch, um, but but Xbox just stuck with Wi-Fi 5. I don't know why, especially when you consider the fact that Xbox Cloud Gaming exists and they knew they were going to launch a cloud gaming service. So I don't know why they... Um, launched the Xbox Series X and S with Wi-Fi 5 um, with that in mind. Um, but anyway, Wi-Fi 6E is coming to this new all-digital um, Xbox Series X console. Finally, um, <laughs> I don't know why Wi-Fi 6 wasn't a thing in the first place, but um, I'm glad it's finally here. Um And then next up, um, there's Bluetooth 5.2. 
um, which should help with uh, pairing different devices to your Xbox, um, especially like controllers, um, headsets, and things like that. So that's a welcome upgrade. And then another welcome upgrade, which I can't believe wasn't on either the Xbox Series X or S consoles, um, is a USB-C port on the console. Finally, <laughs> like, Jesus, Microsoft, what are y'all doing over there? Um, they finally put a USB-C port on the console. Um, like, like, there should be no product released in this decade without a USB-C port. Um, and so I'm glad that there's finally going to be a USB-C port on an Xbox console. I mean, the Nintendo Switch had a USB-C port on it. And I mean, that's Nintendo we're talking about here. They're like some of the last, or that they're like one of the last companies to adopt a lot of technical or technological advancements. So the fact that even they had a USB-C port on their console before Microsoft did um, is wild to me. Um, But I'm glad that a USB-C port is finally coming to an Xbox console. I wish it hadn't taken this long, but it is what it is. Um, And so... Last but not least, um, in regards to the new Xbox console, is two terabytes of storage, which, um, as games are getting bigger and bigger, um, that is definitely a welcome change. Um, Yeah, more storage is definitely better for all of these games with larger open worlds and games that need SSDs and stuff like that. Um, And you know, need higher graphics, um, or higher or better graphics and higher frame rates and stuff like that. Um, you know, all of that needs, you know, better storage. And so I'm glad that this new Xbox is coming with two terabytes of storage. I think people will really like that. Um, especially on the Xbox side, since, um, the storage situation um, is n- not great, um, especially when we're talking about external storage. Um, you have these like expansion cards um, that you have to buy, which now only two manufacturers make them. It used to be just one, um, where Seagate had a monopoly on. Xbox storage. Um, so that was just awful. Um, and I remember a two terabyte, uh, storage expansion card used to cost like $400, which, um, when you compare it to what Sony did on the PlayStation side, um, where you could pretty much just have a PC, uh, M.2 SSD, um, with a heatsink um, that you can just pop into your PS5 um, and it'll work. Like, yeah, um, this storage expansion card thing uh, was not great. Now, thankfully, since Western Digital entered the game, um, prices have gone down, um, but they're not... Um, or the prices haven't gone down enough to the point where they match the uh, PlayStation um, equivalents. So, uh, but regardless, um, two terabytes of storage on the console itself um, is a good thing and might reduce the need for um, those external storage expansion cards. So, yeah, those are pretty much the big changes for this new Xbox console. So, Let's get into this new Xbox controller. So if you've looked at the design of this new Xbox controller, um, I look at 
the design as kind of or it's shaped more like the Stadia controller, um, which, um, as you guys know, I really like. Um, I like the shape of the Stadia controller. I still use my white and black one to this day um, as kind of unofficial Steam Deck controllers. Um, but yeah, I still use those controllers to this day. And I really like them. So I like the form factor um, of this new Xbox controller. Um, and speaking of things that um, Xbox um, copied, well, I shouldn't, or yeah, Xbox kind of lifted from the Stadia controller. Um, this new Xbox controller will have direct-to-cloud connectivity. So, um, what this means is that um, this Xbox controller will be able to um, connect to Wi-Fi um, or connect to your home's Wi-Fi can, or network. And then your Wi-Fi network sends the signal uh, to the Xbox servers um, and then, and then that will kind of reduce the latency, um, in the, or in your inputs for games that you play through Xbox cloud gaming. And if that sounds familiar to you, that is because Google Stadia actually did that, um, back in 2019 when Stadia first launched. Um, so it's good to see that um, that Xbox is lifting that feature from Stadia. I think that was one of, um, or it was one of the things that Stadia um, had going for it, um, where the latency was, you know, it felt like it was, or it felt like I was playing um, Stadia games like locally, or it felt like I was playing on a console. Um, so Xbox getting closer to that experience is a good thing because right now the experience on Xbox cloud gaming is not great. Um, just straight up. And, um, they haven't really improved it ever since Stadia died. Uh, so, so I'm, so I'm glad um, that this feature is coming to the Xbox uh, or to this new Xbox controller. Um, and so hopefully it'll get closer to matching that Stadia-like experience. Um, but next up, um, the next feature that we're going to talk about is haptic feedback, which that is a feature that's lifted from the PlayStation 5 controller. So I think it's good that um, I think it's good that Xbox is um, lifting the haptic feedback from um, the PlayStation controller because like that hap or the haptics, you know, make the game feel more immersive, like you feel more immersed in the game based on like what's going on with your controller. So, or, you know, due to the vibrations of it. So I don't know how or what level of haptic feedback um, they're going to put in it. Is it going to be similar to the PlayStation 5 controller? Is it going to be um, at a lower level? Um, I don't know. Um, we'll have to see. But I'm just glad that haptic feedback is going to be included in the Xbox controller um, in some way, shape or form, um, because the Xbox controller is basically the default controller for PCs. So PC games will also have to support um, that haptic feedback in their games and they'll have to 
um, build um, their games with that in mind. So I think we all win um, with that. Um, And the same thing applies to the next feature that I'm going to talk about, which is the accelerometer. Now, I don't or I don't use um, gyro um, in any of the games that I play. Um, but I know there are people who do. So, again, um, an accelerometer in the Xbox controller is definitely going to um, improve the experience for both Xbox and PC games. And so, yeah, I think, or I think that's um, definitely going to improve the experience um, for games that support it and for people who use uh the gyroscope or the accelerometer uh, controls in games. So I think that's good. Um, But then next up, um, this new Xbox controller is going to have uh, rechargeable and swappable batteries, which um, some people or a lot of people are actually uh, cheering for this news. I mean... I don't really care all that much because like right now I use rechargeable double A batteries. So whenever uh, they run out on my Xbox, I can just recharge them uh, for a few hours and then and then I'm back into my game. Um, But I know. But I know people or not everyone. um uses rechargeable double a batteries um which is what the current xbox controllers use so i can understand or i can understand being excited for rechargeable and swappable batteries um but like i've already been using rechargeable double a batteries so um um, it's good. It's good to have um, rechargeable and swappable batteries. I'm glad they're at least swappable. So you, if you have another pair, or if you have another set of batteries that's already charged, you can just swap them in, and you'll be right back to your game, um, which is what I do with AA batteries right now, um, because all the ones I use for my controllers are rechargeable, but um yeah or this is a welcome change um i'm glad or i'm glad that um we're finally moving on from double a batteries but at the same time it's like i don't really mind it all that much um so you know to each his own um but it's definitely going to be a welcome change to a lot of people um and then finally uh, for the controller, um, there's going to be lift to wake. So if you set your controller down on a surface like a table or something like that, um, and it's off, um, whenever you pick it up, then or the next time you pick it up, um, it'll turn on um, and you'll be able to start playing. Um, so that's good. Um, definitely it definitely um, makes the experience a little bit better um, for players um, and just is a nice quality of life improvement so yeah um, that's it for the new Xbox controller um, or those are all the features that I wanted to highlight and so last but not least let's talk about the future plans for um, Xbox beyond the Series X and S consoles. So, um, one of their feature plans is for a cloud hybrid console. Um, and so their idea is to, um, have a device with a thin OS, um, which for those of you who don't know what a thin OS is, um, is basically an OS that isn't going to run the software natively on it. Um, Instead, it will rely on the cloud to uh, do the heavy lifting for the software that's going to run on it. But 
Um, but regardless, um, you're still going to um, be able to play the soft or to play the games. Um, you'll just need an internet connection um, in order to play those games. Um, and so, and the way that like the cloud hybrid works is that um, like some of the or some of the uh, processing will be done on the device itself, but um, a lot of it is going to be done in the cloud. Um, so yeah, um, a little bit or so a little bit of processing for both the internal uh, processor um, and graphics card as well as, you know, um, whatever um, hardware Microsoft uses in its servers. Um, and then that device could be sold for less than a hundred bucks since it's not going to be the most powerful thing, um, on the planet. So, um, that means they could sell it at a lower price. Um, so depending on your, on your level of comfortability, um, with, um, cloud gaming, um, you may be cool with this or you may not. Um, let me know what your thoughts are, um, on social media or on discord. Love to, uh, continue the conversation there, but yeah, another thing, um, with this cloud hybrid console is that it could possibly have an arm chip, which we haven't seen in a home console before. So that would be interesting. Um, I would like to or I would like to see what or what kind of arm chip um, Microsoft could put in this thing um, and whether or not they'll partner with a certain um, arm SOC manufacturer like Qualcomm or MediaTek or or some other thing like that uh, or some other company like that because uh, Microsoft already partners with Qualcomm for its Surface devices, um, particularly the Surface Pro X devices. Um, those use a chip that um, Microsoft developed um, in collaboration with Qualcomm. Um, so if they could extend that partnership to the Xbox side of the company... Um, I think that could yield some interesting results. Um, but next up, um, there's also cloud hybrid games, um, which, you know, as I mentioned before, um, we utilize some of the processing power on the device, um, as well as a lot of the processing power um, will be in Microsoft servers. Um, and to do this, they hired, uh, or one of their hires was um, named, or is named Kim Swift. Um, she worked at Google um, before she went to Microsoft. Um, and the reason why she went to Microsoft was because um, Google shut down Stadia's first party studios um, back in 2021. So um, Microsoft scooped her up um, in order to try and make uh, these cloud native or cloud hybrid games uh, for Microsoft. So it'll be interesting to see what her team um, is cooking up over there. Um, but we'll have to wait until like, what, 2020? 6, 27, 28, something like that. Um, and that's at the earliest um, to see um, what's going on over in the cloud native game division at Microsoft. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, definitely let me know what you think in terms of these Xbox leaks. 
Um, I'm curious to see what your thoughts or I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are um, in regards to like any of the things that I just talked about, like the Xbox console, the controller or their future plans after the Xbox Series X and S generation. But yeah, um, I would love to know your thoughts. Um, and, you know, definitely leave them on social media um, or on Discord. But yeah, that's it. Um, and I'll see you in the next segment. Up next, we'll get into the future of handheld gaming. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. All right, so last but not least, we're going to talk about the future of handheld gaming. Now, handheld gaming has been gaining a lot of attention recently, and it's pretty obvious who the originator of this new handheld craze is, right? The Nintendo Switch. So, ever since the Nintendo Switch launched, it seems that there have been companies trying to capitalize on the idea of taking AAA games or AAA quality games on the go. And now, um, there have been a lot of handheld devices, or a lot of handheld gaming devices released ever since the Switch originally released in 2017. Um, But recently, um, there have just been an overwhelming amount of handheld devices that you can use to play games on. Um, And I'm going to focus on the three different types of handhelds that you can play games on. So, so yeah, um, I'm going to talk about dedicated PC handhelds. I'm going to talk about ARM-based devices. And then I'm going to talk about the thin client devices. So, first up, um, we have the dedicated PC handhelds. Um, So, these are basically like, um, they're little PCs that you can obviously hold in your hand to to play PC games from stores like Steam, um, or the Epic Game Store, or the Xbox store or any of the other PC stores that exist. Um, Now, the dedicated PC handheld craze, um, it started with the Steam Deck back in 2022, but um, there were other companies that were doing or that were making handheld PCs before Valve did. Um, and those companies include the likes of Ioneo, 1X Player, um, and some other brands um, like AOK Zoe, like all these brands that just have weird names. Um, but they they've been making or brands like that have been making handhelds before Valve did. Um, And it wasn't until the Steam Deck came out that dedicated PC handhelds really started to explode. Um, And so now you have... um, So now you have devices like the Asus ROG Ally, uh, the upcoming Lenovo Legion Go... Um, and then you also have low cost, um, handheld PCs like the AYN Loki Zero, um, and others, um, as well that will be coming out soon. Um, and so, yeah, you have dedicated PC handhelds, um, 
and then you also have arm devices um now i'm gonna be talking about apple a little bit um and i know i don't really like talking about apple but um what they did with the iphone 15 pro and pro max is really important so for those of you who don't know um back in september um at the iphone 15 event um apple revealed that console games like resident evil village assassin's creed mirage um and a couple of other uh console games um are going to be coming to the iphone 15 pro and pro max um with that apple a17 uh, or a17 pro uh chip so so i think that is a game changer for or especially for arm devices and it's going to open up the floodgates for console games to come to mobile devices um now um it will be a question of whether or not um, Apple's competitors like Qualcomm um, and Samsung and MediaTek um, and Google with the Tensor uh, chips um, ever catch up in performance um, so that they can also get that games or get those games, excuse me. I don't know why I can't talk today. Um, But yeah, I mean... The iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max getting console-level games, I think, is a good thing. Um, And speaking of devices in the Apple ecosystem, um, those games um, running on the A17 Pro chip can scale up to devices like iPads running the M-series chips, and Macs also running the M-series chips. But then um, another category of devices that Apple makes um, that that some people aren't even mentioning is Apple TVs. When those eventually get uh, chips that are equivalent to the A17 Pro um, and the M-series chips, those could be... Or the Apple TV devices could then be potential um, competitors to things like the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X and S. So, I mean, that is really huge uh, for Apple, especially. Um, But we'll see um, how how developments in the Apple ecosystem play out in terms of being able to play console games. But um, Apple's really been pushing in gaming um, and wanting to be a platform for games. So I hope it works out for them. I really do. Um, Regardless of me not liking Apple, I really do hope it works out for them Um, because more competition is a good thing. Um, But... We also have Android devices that are focused on gaming, um, specifically devices like the Razer Edge that just came out earlier this year. Um, We also have devices like the AYN Odin 2, which uh, just went up for pre-order on Indiegogo not too long ago. Um, And then the iNeo Pocket Air, which also went up on Indiegogo for pre-order not too long ago. Um, I will actually be getting that device. Um, so uh, stay tuned for a review on it. Um, I will definitely be sharing my thoughts on that. Um, but yeah, you have all these uh, gaming or these Android gaming handhelds um, and it makes sense, right? Um, I mean, it's not just Apple that's been getting games, um, or that's been getting console quality games. I mean, 
Android devices have also been getting um, some console quality games and will continue to do so. So um, I think this is a great thing all around. Um, and then you also have gaming phones and tablets like the Lenovo Legion Y700, which is a tablet. Um, but then you also have the um, Asus ROG phones and then you have like the Red Magic phones. Um, and then I, th or yeah, the Red Magic phones um, and other brands that are gaming focused um, in terms of phones. Um, I think Lenovo is the only one that's doing um, gaming tablets. But in terms of phones, there's a lot more competition there. Um, so I do think that in addition to um, iOS, iPadOS, uh, macOS, and tvOS, I do think that we're going to see um, console-level games come to Android as well. Um, and that'll be pretty exciting. Um, and hopefully... Hopefully NVIDIA is looking at this um, so we can get a more powerful NVIDIA shield because um, that would be pretty nice to just have an Android device um, that can play console quality games natively. I think that would be pretty awesome. But yeah, um, Android devices can definitely game too. Um and then um, the third category that I want to get into is the thin client devices. So these are devices that um, are specifically geared towards either remote play, cloud gaming, or both. Um, and the thin client devices that I want to talk about are, well, first up is the PlayStation Portal, which is coming out on November 15th. That is an interesting device because um, right now it is, um, it looks like it's going to be a remote play only device. Um, so games streamed through PlayStation Plus Premium are not going to be supported, at least at launch. Um, maybe they will be in the future, um, but at launch, no. Um, you can only play um, games that are installed on your PS5 remotely through the PlayStation Portal. Um, and so, um, I mean, it seems like it's doing pretty well. I mean, it's sold out in Japan at the time of recording this. Um, and it's also sold out at some of the retailers here in the U.S. So, I mean, Sony seems to have something here. Um, and I think there's definitely a market for a device like the PlayStation Portal. Um, but going into a device that can do a little bit more than the PlayStation Portal, um, we have the Logitech G Cloud. Now... I could have put the Logitech G Cloud in the Android devices category because, yes, the Logitech G Cloud does run Android. However, um, it the specs of that device um, don't allow for a great experience when playing games natively on the Logitech G Cloud. You can still play games natively on that device, but you'll have to lower the settings um, to a lower graphics setting and lower frame rate settings um, to just get a playable experience on the Logitech G Cloud. That device is more geared towards um, both remote play and cloud gaming. So it can do remote play from PlayStation and Xbox. Um, but specifically Xbox, um, PlayStation, um, or the Logitech G Cloud can do PlayStation remote play 
Um, but you'll have to use a third party app in order to do it. Um, so, I mean, there's that, but then there's also cloud gaming, which, um, I mean, the three main ones or the three main services are, um, Xbox cloud gaming, um, NVIDIA GeForce Now, and Amazon Luna. Those are the three biggest ones in my opinion. Um, though you can also do other cloud gaming services like Boosteroid, Black Nut, um, <laughs> Black Nut. Uh, anyway, yeah, you can do Boosteroid, Black Nut, uh, Utomic, um, and other cloud gaming services that are out there. Uh, Shadow is another one. So, yeah, all of those can also work well on the Logitech G Cloud, uh, depending on the internet settings and how um, close you are to the servers and all of that. Um, but, yeah, you can get um, a Logitech G Cloud, and as long as you have a subscription to uh, the right service, um, you can have a pretty good experience with the G cloud. Um, and I think it's a pretty good device. I have one myself, um, and I've used it to play games on, um, NVIDIA GeForce Now, Xbox cloud gaming. And since, uh, the G cloud launched in late 2022, I was able to play a little bit of Google Stadia on it. Rest in peace, Google Stadia. Um, but yeah, I, I've had a fun time with my Logitech G cloud. Um, I think it's, or I do think there's a market for it, but, um, it was definitely priced way too high at launch at $350. Um, I think it could have, or I think that price, um, could have gone down to, or it is down to 300, but I think that's still too high. Um, if it had launched at maybe um, the same price as the PlayStation Portal at one ninety nine, or if it had launched at two forty nine um, US dollars, I think that would have been the sweet spot um, because it can do more than the PlayStation Portal. Um, as I said, it can play cloud games from GeForce Now. Xbox Cloud Gaming, um, Amazon Luna, as well as other cloud services, um, which the PlayStation Portal can't do. Um, so it has more utility um, than a device like the PlayStation Portal, which is tied to one specific console. Um, but yeah, um, these are all of the or these are the three different types of um, handheld gaming devices. Dedicated PC handhelds, uh, ARM devices, so iOS and Android devices, as well as thin client devices. Um, the Nintendo Switch is in a category of its own. Um, it's like a dedicated handheld console. Um, but yeah, um, that's what the future of handheld gaming is looking like. It's looking like we're going to have many options in terms of handheld gaming. Um, and it's pretty exciting. Um, but let me know what you think of the future of handheld gaming. Do you think it's bright? Um, do you think that it's just a fad and that, um, we'll be going back to our, uh, PlayStations and Xboxes. Um, definitely let me know what your thoughts are on the future of handheld gaming on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. But yeah, that's about it. Later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cells and Circuits podcast the place where tunes and tech intersect. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, 
Be sure to follow or subscribe to the show, depending on your listening platform, and be sure to follow us on social media through the links in the show notes. Also, check out our merch and our live streams, which are linked in the show notes as well. This episode was written and produced and edited by me, Chibeze Anakor, and background music was provided by Tiffy3. Until next time, I'm Chibeze, signing off. <laughs>